0: If you don't already have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 5. Go ahead and do that if you would. We are continuing in our study from the book of Acts. Before we get started and after that powerful reading, it just again reinforced, reminded me uh, of what I was thinking as we were singing that song uh, in Christ alone. So oftentimes when we ask people, "What, what, what does your salvation mean to you? Oftentimes they will say, well, I was saved from my sin. And there, that's true. That is absolutely true. But that's the outcome of salvation. What was it? What were you saved from? What they were saved from is found on the cross when Jesus suffered and died. They were saved from the wrath of God. Oftentimes in our theology of salvation, we leave that part out. We don't think about the fact that truly what we were saved from is what God did to Jesus on the cross. He poured out his wrath, his anger, and his judgment on Jesus Christ. And Jesus did that in our place. That is the greatest thing about your salvation, that, the, that you are not going to perish. You are not going to suffer the wrath of God if you're saved, you will not suffer that, amen. That's worth celebrating, and I think oftentimes we forget it. And today, twice we were reminded of it, and and so now let's go ahead if we can. Let's continue in our study from the book of Acts. By the way of re, by way of review, we've learned that our Lord in chapter one of the book of Acts equipped His apostles for the birth of the church. Not only did He give them His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But prior to that, Jesus rose from the dead. That gave the disciples great confidence in the future. But even more than that was that Jesus opened their eyes, the apostles, the disciples. He opened their eyes to understand, get this, the Old Testament. Prior to Christ opening the disciples' eyes, they did not see clearly Jesus as Messiah who was the shadow spoken of in the Old Testament. And so now when we come to Acts chapter 2 and Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon, he begins to incessantly quote the Old Testament, referring to Christ. Why? Because that's new to him. And, and so, we, we, in chapter 1, that's part of the equipping. Before the church is even born, Jesus is equipping his, his saints, his disciples, to be apostles, to share the good news with the world. And then in chapter 2, the church was given life by the Holy Spirit. As he, as it says in Acts 2, he came upon them. We talked about that, that Greek preposition. It It's it's not just a filling, an infilling is the Greek preposition en, that he will be in you. And that is a subjective work of the Holy Spirit in every believer, to help us grow and mature in Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit comes into us, to grow us up, to conform us to the image of Jesus. But there's another Greek preposition, and it's the Greek word ippi. And it means for the Spirit to come upon us, to overflow us. He fills us for our own subjective growth, and then he overflows us for the sake of others. What happened on the day day of Pentecost was not for the disciples. What happened on the day of Pentecost was for the people. They were about to hear a sermon where the gospel of Jesus would be proclaimed, and 3,000 of them would be saved. Well, the same is true in our lives. Don't think for a second that somehow you have to conjure up in your own strength, in your own uh, mind, out of your own words, to move people to be saved. No man can save another man. That is a work of the Holy Spirit by regeneration. The Holy Spirit is the one who grants faith to believe, the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates, the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us, who woos us to God, he does everything. All we are to do is be faithful sowers of the seed, throw the word, broadcast it everywhere, and let it fall on good soil, on not so good soil, and and let God do his work from there. The pressure's off, church. Our responsibility is to simply throw the seed. We talked about that last week. We don't have to worry about the outcome of the seed. And and so on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches on the street of Jerusalem, 3,000 men get saved. We don't know how many countless children and women that would represent as well. And the church is off and running. And the focus of the early church in Acts chapter 2 initially is nothing more than focusing on evangelism. Evangelism and discipleship. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, if you want to just follow along. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together... And breaking bread in their homes, they received uh, their food with glad and generous hearts. I hope you received food this morning. No, I guess not. Yes, you did. You received food this morning here at first at the uh, Viral Bible Fellowship. Praise God. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They had favor with God and with all the people. I love that. So it was a beautifully formed body. And in, in every way... It was one. And immediately the church began to grow and, be, and being nurtured on the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, prayer, and the breaking of bread. And naturally, as it began to grow, opposition came up. It's an infant church, and so it has infant muscles. And these infant muscles in the early church are being tested by opposition. And what's interesting is when, it, and when persecution broke, the church only grew faster and greater persecution didn't turn the church in the wrong direction it actually fueled the church forward and we saw all this all the way through chapter four his task was simple keep growing keep growing keep growing reach the world with the gospel of jesus christ and they were really totally committed to that very thing of reaching the world now here's a quick picture if you want to see growth the way God's intended his church to grow when we do church God's way. You see it in chapter 2, verse 41, they added 3,000 souls. In verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Again, not including the women and the children. And then, not, and, and then in chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the number multitudes of both men and women. When were they added in multitude? When did it all of a sudden it become multiplication by growth? When was it? It was when the church came into a unique experience in a worship service. We talked about it last week in chapter 5, verse 1. It was the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They came to church... And they thought they were going to give money towards helping people with needs from the sale of a property. The problem is they were committing hypocrisy. They told the church they were going to give all the proceeds of the property and they came in and gave a portion. And so God made an example of them. And great sobriety came upon all the people in the church and even those outside the church were even saying, I, I, I don't want to be part of that church. And the people in the church came the next week and gave a huge offering. Because when God strikes people dead for not being honest about their giving, it causes people now to begin to think seriously about God. Purity is really what it was about. It wasn't about money. God demands purity in the worship of his people. We must never forget that. We have no witness to the world if we're not living pure lives before God. God demands that of us. There's a reason why we don't talk about football games. We don't talk about uh, stories of man and this and that in the pulpit. We stay focused on the Word of God. Why? Because this is the Lord's worship service. It's not ours to do whatever we choose. It's ours to give the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, prayers, and fellowship. That's what we are to do when we come together as the church, and that's exactly what they were doing, and they were seeing God move mightily. In chapter 6, verse 7, and the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So now not only the people are getting saved, but the priests, the Jewish priests are getting saved. In chapter 9, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So now it's not just in Jerusalem, but exactly what Jesus told the disciples is coming true. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And now all of a sudden it says, in walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied in in Galilee, in Judea, and in Samaria, the fulfillment of Scripture. And then in chapter 11, verse 21 and 24, it says, A great number that believed turned to the Lord. A large company was added to the Lord. So the church is growing at a fantastic rate in a matter of days and weeks. And it's, it's all of a sudden, it's multiplied thousands. And all of this because of a tremendous focus on vital evangelism. It was the church reaching the world. This is our heritage and yet we still live in the same church age that the disciples started in. We are too to make a difference in our community, in our world. We too must open our mouths and speak the word of God boldly. We too must face persecution. Last week we talked about the bearing of burdens that a believer, a Christian, is to bear. The first one is that you and I are called to bear this, this incredible burden. We are to bear a burden to to know that we are saved and that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. And in that responsibility, we take it very serious here at Viral Bible Fellowship. We are going to be faithful witnesses for Jesus Christ. The first burden that we talked about was the burden of purity and worship. Then the next burden we dealt with was, was actually sharing the gospel. It's on us, church. It's not on anyone else. It's on us. And and then the third burden that we're going to cover today at verse 17 is the burden of facing persecution, facing persecution. But I just want to say from last week's message that just as the church is booming, Satan shows up and he brings tragedy inside the church. And of course, that's when Ananias and Sapphira were literally struck down by God in the church service. They lied to the Holy Spirit in an effort to gain religious prestige and to be thought of as spiritual. And really, they were not spiritual. So God called them out on their carnality. He called them out. So the cancer, instead of sweeping through the church, was literally cut off by God so that the church could remain pure and continue to share the gospel. Folks, we we can't, listen to me, please hear this, church. We cannot live two separate lives. We must be faithful to God, both here in service and also in the rest of our week. Faithful and pure in our dealings in the business world. Faithful and pure in our educational pursuits. Faithful and pure in our neighborhoods, in the marketplace, because it has every It has every bearing on our witness. If we're faithful and pure as we share the word of Christ with people, people will be saved. But if we're just playing a game and people in the world see the difference of our lives, they see one way on Monday and us live a different way on Sunday. Listen, that's a turnoff to them. And the Lord dealt with that in the church so that the world, even the world around that church, when they heard about Ananias and Sapphira being struck dead by God, it says that, that that all of a sudden God began to save people in the community. That's a weird way to do evangelism. To to come to church and God kill a couple folks for not being real and pure, and then people get saved because of it. But that's what happened. Sobriety hit the church. They became even more serious, more focused on the call of God, the command of Christ to go into the world, and more people were saved. You do not have a witness if you're not living a pure life. I don't care what title you carry. I don't care what testimony you think you have. Listen, if you're not being the same person on Monday through Saturday that you are on Sunday morning, my friend, that's a shell game. God knows it, and believe me, people know it. You have no witness. You have no witness. So we come to verse 17, and we look at this burden of facing persecution. We see it right here in the text, and the, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. You see, the, the Sadducees vehemently opposed anything having to do with the supernatural. They lived in the natural realm. They only believed in the things they could see. These guys were totally given to only the things, the pragmatism. They're pragmatists. By the way, a lot of pastors and a lot of churches are so pragmatic today. God help us that we can't believe God for the things that he can do. And we won't go back to Scripture and do it God's way because we found some pragmatic way to do it. This other church is having success. Let's do it that way. God help us to return to the Lord and do church his way. And, and, and they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. See, although the Sadducees were a numerical minority, believe me, they had the power and they had the money. And so they had the power to have these men arrested. In verse 19, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, capital L, speaking of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the what? He is life. So what it's referring to here is the gospel. Go and speak Jesus to the people. Go and share the gospel, the good news of what? What? Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak. This happened. Listen, the angel broke them out of prison at night. They didn't wait till the next evening. The next morning, when light came up, they were in the temple sharing the gospel. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I love that. Following their release from prison, you'd think that if you were persecuted and put in prison because you were sharing Jesus, the last thing you would be found doing when you exit the prison is go share Jesus. That's exactly what they did. See, these guys and gals had a singleness of mind. We are here to please God, not man. I'm not here to protect my, my earthly image. I'm here to lift up the name of Jesus only. They were committed to that. The largest nation in the world today is the nation of procrastination. No doubt about it. Our tendency is to say, thank you, Lord. You freed me from prison. You freed me from eternal damnation, from meaningless existence. You've taken me out of my emotional depression. You opened the door for me, Lord. Oh, I'm so thankful. And so now I'm going to share your gospel tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow comes and you're like, well, tonight. And tonight comes and the next day. Procrastination. By the way, procrastination is a decision. It's not indecision. It's a decision. It's a decision of inactivity. You decided to not take action. You decided not to obey the command of Jesus. You can't hide behind saying, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, I got to get around to that. That's something I really want to do. Blah, blah, blah. That's just talk. Do it. Do it. I I read, I forget what book I read this in, but there was a guy who was a wealthy inventor. And he said that, that every time he invented something, no less than 10 people would come to him and say, you know, I thought of that. And he said, here's the reality. They thought about it. I did it. We're not called to think about the gospel. We're not called to come to church, learn more about Bible so we can think more about it and ponder it and consider it for personal growth. That is the first work of the Holy Spirit in you, to conform you to the image of Jesus. But then there's a second work. He comes upon you for the sake of others. You got to do it. We can't just talk about it amongst ourselves. we got to do it. Verse 21, and when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. And when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Only God can do that. Amen? Don't you love when God shows up in his supernatural intervention? That is so beautiful. Verse 24, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. In other words, what is going to be the end result of all this? Because this is kind of scary for us. We don't know what's going on here. They're greatly disturbed over it. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The exact thing that you told them not to do and why you put them in prison, they're out doing it this morning. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Let me tell you why the people would have, even people who didn't believe in Jesus yet, let me tell you why the people would would stone the captain and his guards if they tried to forcefully take them. Because even the lost world had respect For the church. Some of them didn't want to belong to it. I'm not ready to surrender to it. But don't be messing with that. That's one thing you don't mess with is God's church. You mess with God's church, he'll strike you dead. That's what they're thinking. And so that's another way for us to have a witness in the world. Purity. We don't tolerate sin. We don't wink at it. We cannot as a church wink at sin. And it gives us credibility with the world when we don't turn it gray when it's black and white in Scripture. And so, look what the, this is so good. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. And the captain with the, with the uh, officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, before the Sadducees, And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. What a wonderful indictment. Could that be said of you? Is it possible that anyone in this community would say when your name comes up, They have filled our community with that message about Jesus. What a wonderful indictment. Oh, that we would be as faithful to God in the service of evangelism and our calling as the disciples. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, they said at the end of 28. You're going to bring this man's blood upon us. Hey, by the way, remember what they said when Pilate offered Barabbas instead of Jesus, what did they say? They said, let his blood be upon us and on our children. Back then it was, it was politically cool to say that. Now they're saying, you're going to put his blood on us? It's what you wanted. God doesn't forget. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God. Rather than men. Even though you have legislative and political authority, the fact remains that there is a higher authority than you God. He has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have no other recourse than to obey God. That's what they're saying. God has set man in positions of authority over us, church. This is so appropriate for our day that we're living in. In Romans 13, we're told that we need to to obey the authorities over us. We submit to the laws of the land. But if the authorities over us that God has ordained act contrary to His will, they act contrary to the Word of God, we must submit to Him rather than them. Consequently, Should there come a time when those in authority say we're not going to allow witnessing on the streets or in public places because it violates the separation of church and state, and that day could come upon us. We will not obey them. We will continue to worship God publicly. They can throw us in prison, but we must be faithful to God. We answer to God. We answer to a higher authority who has come to us and has shared the Word of God with us, and we are going to obey it. Civil disobedience, listen, is not uncommon in Scripture. There are places in the Bible where civil disobedience took place. Let me take you back. The midwives in Egypt were told to destroy all of the Jewish male children. They refused, and when they refused, what happened? God honored their refusal. Rahab the harlot hid the spies who were sent in to scope out the land and she withstood the questioning of civil authorities. God blessed her and put her in the line of Messiah in his bloodline. Against the king's command, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego did not bow their knees to the image of Nebuchadnezzar and God blessed them and stood with them in the fiery furnace. Daniel himself He refused to cease from praying three times a day, even though doing so was in direct violation of the law. God honored him and saved him in the lion's den. There are biblical examples of civil disobedience. We have members of this church who take that very seriously at abortion clinics. The law of the land is you can kill babies. And they will go and stand outside quietly, to oppose that ungodly law, that forbidden law. And if a girl, a woman is walking by them and opens her mouth and says something, they have the right to speak to her. They can share why they are opposing it. That's civil disobedience. And there is a place for us, and there will be, believe me, in the direction we're going as a nation, this church is going to be confronted with a test. The test is, will you stand for Christ? or you fall to the ways of the world. We must stand. We stand upon the Word of God. But there are two very important requirements in order for anyone to conduct themselves in civil disobedience. Let me give them to you. Number one, civil uh, disobedience must be carried out with scriptural authority. We don't just make up our own things. Well, you know, they say it's a 35-mile-an-hour zone. But God told me I could go 70. Okay, uh, you, you, no, you can't. that's not civil disobedience. That's, that's you being disobedient to God. Okay, the angel of the Lord said to the apostles, go speak in the temple. He said that in verse 20. In addition, Jesus had already commissioned them saying, go into the world, preach the gospel. Now these guys are saying, don't speak the name of Jesus anymore. Civil disobedience was required, and they had every right to by the Word of God. Secondly, civil disobedience must be carried out with humility. Let me tell you something every time in Scripture that there was civil disobedience by God's people, listen, they suffered for it. They took the hits, they took the shame, they took the mockery. It's going to cost you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is a burden to bear when you face persecution. And every Christian, every true believer, must face persecution. Jesus even prepares us for it. He said in the Beatitudes, blessed are you when men ridicule you, make fun of you, joke in my name. You're blessed. There's not a Christian in the room, if you're truly saved, that should not be persecuted on a regular basis. As you open your mouth, and as you lovingly share the gospel with people. And every once in a while, you come upon fertile soil. I had another opportunity this week. A gentleman from England, he said, I wouldn't call myself an atheist. I said, are you a skeptic? He goes, no, I wouldn't say so. I'm just open to all religions to listen to everybody. I don't don't believe in everything I hear, but I certainly think everybody has a right to speak, and I like to listen. And then he began to open up and share with me his hang-ups with God course, he says, I I don't mind the God of the New Testament, but that God of the Old Testament, I don't like some of the things he called. It's the same God. And so lovingly, I took him to the scriptures. And we had about a 45-minute conversation. It was wonderful. And he said to me at the close, this has really been insightful and interesting. I want to talk again with you about this. I said, wonderful. We'll do it. See, that's what it means, is open your mouth. And most of the time, they're going to reject you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you. They're going to ridicule you. Jesus said, you're blessed. When that happens, you're blessed. And then every once in a while, one out of four, Jesus said, will be fertile soil that the seed will fall on. And they'll hear what you're saying. And God will begin to do a work in their heart and regenerate them. Amen? Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree god exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins and we are witnesses to these things and so is the holy spirit whom god has given to those who obey him look at that interesting see here's how you know somebody who's truly who truly has the spirit from somebody who claims to have the spirit those who have the spirit obey I'm not saying perfect. Nobody is perfect. And I don't believe that you can live above sin. I do not believe that. I know that that's taught doctrinally in some movements and denominations. I disagree with it 100% biblically. I don't think it's well thought out. I think they're falling short to understand the total of the text. I don't think you can live above sin. If you say to me, I live above sin, I'm going to ask you what bar you have an apartment over. Because obviously you're living above sin that way. That's about the only way you can live above sin. Everybody here falls short every single day. And you can't just stop calling it sin so that you can fit that whole mantra. It's sin. We fall into sin every single day, every one of us. So God's not looking for perfect Christians. Nobody can be holy in the way that God is holy. When it says, be ye holy as God is holy, it's not saying that you can be holy like God. Jesus never sinned. That's not you. That's not me. Being holy is having a bend in your heart towards holiness. Having a bend in your heart towards purity. That's my heart's desire. But that's why God gave grace. Because he knew you couldn't do it 100% of the time every day. You would need mercy and grace. And thank God for mercy and grace. Amen. And so that's what he's preaching here. He's preaching the mercy and grace of God that freed them from their sins, freed them from the wrath of God, and now he's telling them about it. And when they heard this, verse 33, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Why? Because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And he's preaching that Jesus, look what he said above, look, God our Father has raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. They hate that idea that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So they want to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So due to his knowledge of the law, Gamaliel's knowledge of the law, and because he walked with great integrity in his attempt to keep the law, he was called, literally in that day, The historians called him the beauty of the law, Gamaliel. That's interesting a brilliant thinker and one of the most influential teachers in all of Jewish history. By the way, Gamaliel was Paul's teacher. When Gamaliel was saying this, don't mess with these guys because it could be God and you'll find yourself opposing God. Don't you just let. If these guys, if we don't do anything and they die out, then we know it was just man. He's using wisdom, okay? At the same time, he's teaching the Apostle Paul right now. Paul is one of his Boys who walks in the dust of his rabbi. And that's what's going on right now. And so Jewish historians tell us that Gamaliel, uh, he gave a criticism of Paul. This is not found in the Bible. It's in Jewish history that we learn that Gamaliel gave a criticism of Paul. Guess what it was? He said, I can't seem to find enough reading material for him. He devours everything I give him. And interestingly enough, Since those who study Greek tell us that Paul's vocabulary and his sentence structure is the most sophisticated of any Greek writer, Paul himself was brilliant. He was not a refined, silver-tongued orator, but he was brilliant. Verse 35, and he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days Thutis rose up, You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Wise, wise counsel. Uh, Friends, I want to tell you, even when we're speaking to those in the world, there are the Gamaliels out there. They might disagree with what we're saying, but they won't mess with us. Because it's possible that God is real, and it's possible that God is speaking through his word, and that's what we're quoting That's what I said to this gentleman this week. I said, I can't, he he said, everybody's got an opinion on God. I said, you know what? I don't really have an opinion on God. My opinion doesn't amount to a hill of beans, but God does have an opinion about himself. And he gave us disclosure of himself in the Bible. I choose to believe that it was written inspired by God. I do not think the 40 authors who wrote scripture were special people that just walked around all day long speaking the words of God. I believe that the Holy Spirit would come upon them in the moments when he was having them to write the words of God. And only those words coming from their mouths were canonized in Scripture. I believe that everything that's in the Bible is inspired of God, otherwise it would not be there. And that's the approach we use. See, you don't come with your wisdom, with your ability, with what you think, with your opinion. Look, opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. And you say, well, my opinion, my, my thought is, here's what I think. Well, basically, your think, you're, whatever your opinion is, it's based upon your geography, how you were raised by your family. It's based upon many factors, wounds and, and hurts. It's based upon your studies under certain people. You've got all these things. Let me tell you something. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. Before you were ever born, God's opinion stood. And after you were born and you were shaped by living in the world and you came to your opinions, God's word still stood. His opinion was still strong. And after you die, your opinions will die with you. But God's opinions will still stand. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of the Lord will stand forever if you have any message to anyone about the gospel of jesus christ you must base it from the word of god and that's what gamaliel was afraid to address he knew that these guys might be from god let's leave them alone and they and when they had called in the apostles they beat them there it is the first thing, the first burden, the first responsibility of the church, of every Christian, is purity and worship of God. The second burden and responsibility, to be faithful, to share. It says that when, they pray, that when the church prayed after Peter and John were released from prison, all spoke the word. The whole church was speaking. And then the third burden responsibility is that you face persecution. Face it. Stand. Stand. In spite of it, it says that they took them, they beat them, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Well, they've already done that once before. It didn't work. Do you think it's going to work now? And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. When did the rejoicing start? After they were persecuted. Why? Why? Because they were looking to become martyrs? No. Because they knew what happens when persecution breaks out. It just fires the Holy Spirit up. The hound of heaven goes after people. People get saved. They are rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, look at this, don't go out and speak it. Keep your mouth shut. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Winston Churchill wants to find a fanatic as someone who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. That's Peter and John. They wouldn't change their minds. They didn't change the subject. Knowing Jesus is Lord, they kept talking about him wherever they went. Are you a fanatic? When you hear Christians speak of fanatic, it's always in a negative connotation. We need to be fanatics for Christ. That's how you turn a crazy upside-down world right side up with the gospel. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for each person that is here. Thank you for the faithfulness of your word to speak to us, not only collectively but subjectively we are challenged as a church corporately but Lord by the Holy Spirit you are speaking to individuals in this room very uniquely very specifically we thank you for your work we thank you that coming to church is not just about seeing friends and and putting on a front we learned that doesn't work in Acts chapter 5 It is about seeking you in pure worship. And it is about leaving this place and being faithful to share the gospel. Because we went to church, we were charged up by the word, by the fellowship of the believer. And now we go out and we share the gospel with others. And we stand rejoicingly when we face persecution. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our elders, uh, some of our elders and uh, prayer partners will be gathering in the front. If anyone has a prayer need uh, about any subject or anything happening in your life, please come up and speak to one of the prayer partners or one of our elders after the service. If today you have come into understanding who Jesus is as the son of God who died on the cross for your sins and you have surrendered to him by faith, you're saved. You don't need to pray a prayer. You don't need to walk an aisle. But if you want to come and tell us so we can stand with you and rejoice over the salvation of God in your life, please come up and speak to one of them, okay? God bless you, church. Pray the Lord bless you today in your fellowship. Amen.